Thank you, Lee. Very kind words. You are a dear friend, and it is good to serve Christ together with you in Ohio Valley Presbytery. And, uh, I uh, just, I, you know, I know our time of confession is already over, but confession is good for the soul. Uh, there were times where uh, I did not have faith that grace and peace was going to make it. And I told Lee that. And I'm so grateful that you didn't listen to me. <laughs> uh, and I, I rejoiced uh, at the, the service when, when you guys were recognized as a particular church by the Ohio Valley Presbytery. And I rejoice in what God is doing in and through you uh, to this day. And uh, do pray that y'all... Uh, that God leads you in regards to a building and more than just a building, that he leads you in terms of your love for, and service to one another and your love for your community and reaching out with the love of Christ uh, to your friends and co-workers and neighbors. And may God bless grace and peace. If you have a copy of God's word, please turn to Zephaniah, minor prophet, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, I think, then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you find Matthew, just go back a little bit, not too much. It's only three chapters, small book. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. This is what God says in this portion of his word. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those of you whom, uh, who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in, and at that time I will gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, let not our eyes be veiled to your gospel of grace, nor let the devil come and take away your word from our hearts. Let nothing hinder us today from hearing your word with an honest and good heart. Let us hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Grant me to speak with clarity to handle your word faithfully, that together we might lay your word up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. 
Grant us your spirit by hearing with faith. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I am uh, listening to Spurgeon's lectures to his students uh, on, on my telephone. Amazing how technology works these days. And anyway, in chapter four, he's giving lectures to his students about public prayer. And he has all sorts of uh, advice. He condemns various things. And one of the things that is a pet peeve for him, uh, as, he, as he writes, or and as I listen to someone read his lectures, is um, when in prayer, scriptures are misquoted or taken out of their context. And he had other things that are, uh, uh, other sayings that were just trite or meaningless. But the, the, the thing about the, the taking scriptures out of context kind of hit home for me. There's, I, I guess I have a couple pet peeves. There's, there's people who will pray and, and boy, I hope I'm not, not uh, I hope there's no one here who's a pet peeve. But uh, uh, praise that way. But uh, sometimes people will pray and say, uh, Lord, you're, you are so holy. Your eyes are so holy uh, that you can't even look upon sin. And the, the, back, the prophet Habakkuk does say that. And he says that to God who's looking upon sin and ready to judge it. And, and there's all sorts of verses about the eyes of the Lord look to and fro and he knows our hearts and he indeed sees evil in this earth because he's very familiar with wickedness and, and such. Anyway, that's a pet peeve for me. And, and another one, and, and even the Book of Common Prayer does this, it, it'll talk about prayer for where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in our midst. And that's true, that's true. But, but the context, you know what the context is? It's church does church discipline and the two or three are the people who have just been witnessing against the guilty person and God saying I am there in that church discipline <laughs> we don't normally pray oh Lord in this church discipline we know that we're too anyway pet peeves uh, I suppose something very similar to that is to cherry pick and I love to cherry pick verses out of the Bible you know kind of that Pollyanna take take a happy text and such and and in order not to be guilty of that today, I thought last time I was here, you know, I was preaching the law pretty hard, striving to bring conviction of sin to lead you to grace and, and the cross and such. Today, I would, I would take a happy text. And this is a beautiful song of joy. But in order to be faithful, we do need to consider it in its context. And, and thus, even the title of the message, Sustaining Grace for Weary Souls, kind of hints at the, the context of, of this beautiful passage in Zephaniah. Zephaniah is the great-great-grandson of Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. He is writing during the time of King Josiah. Uh, I don't know if it was early in Josiah's reign or, or late in his reign, uh, but it's the, the fall of Jerusalem is on its way. It's just a few uh, kings away and Zephaniah is writing a, a kind of a blistering prophecy about God's judgment. So uh, we'll start with asking why souls might be weary and consider the context of this beautiful passage of scripture. But then look at these words of grace, the sustaining grace for weary souls, and then how we may receive this sustaining grace. Why souls might be Weary. Well, primarily, as I say, this is a prophecy of wrath and destruction. Zephaniah 
verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 2 and following. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. And on it goes. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah. You get the idea. It's judgment time in Israel. God's judgment comes against, well, Judah, Israel as Judah and Jerusalem, against the people of God, against the surrounding nations. They're talked about in chapter 2, verses 4 through 14, I believe it is, uh, and, and against the whole earth. And, and there's a certain weariness to, to knowing that God's judgment is coming forward. And, and, and the way it's spoken of in Zephaniah is similar to some of the other prophets, and even some of the apostles will speak about this day of the Lord. And this passage has the day of the Lord kind of words. Chapter 1, verse 7. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Verse 9. On that day I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold. And it goes on. Uh, verse 14. That great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. Uh, Verse 15, a day of wrath is that day, a day of distress. And it's this day. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day of wrath. It's the day of the Lord's anger. And there's a weariness to saying, oh man, that's coming. I don't know if you feel that in, in, in thinking about it. And by the way, we can think about the day of the Lord coming. The apostle Peter speaks this way in 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and its works that are done on it will be exposed. There is a coming day of the Lord and living in a time of the accumulation of the things that bring forth the wrath of God is wearying. It's stressful. It hurts, and, and we can identify with these people, you know, kind of the big words that, that is used to talk about why God's wrath is coming is the word oppression. It's, it's used a couple of times in chapter 3, and it's not delineated like it is in, say, the book of Amos, but we know from the, the other uh, writing prophets as well as records of history of the time that the oppression was brutal. There are countries going to war with one another, and the war tactics are brutal. Uh, they're nothing, uh, what we face today is, is nothing new when, when an invading army comes in and kills all the guys and rapes all the women and takes the people hostage and makes them their slaves. That sort of thing went on. We have a psalm, Psalm I believe it's 147, how blessed is the one who dashes their little one's heads against the stones, and that's that's someone writing after the Babylonian captivity who, when the day of the Lord came on, Judah, on Jerusalem, what happened is they would take the feet of the child of an infant and just dash the baby's head on the stone. And, and the psalmist is saying, Lord, we want justice. We want you to do to them what they did to us. It was a weary, stressful time in Israel. 
There was great oppression, not only oppression at war, but there was oppression in the way there was human trafficking and the selling of individuals and, and the abuse of, of, of particularly women as, as sex objects and such, much like we might face today. There was oppression in the workplace, and there, the, the, the prophets are full of talking about how oppressive the work environment was and how people were cheated on their wages and... and treated uh, more like slaves than with any human dignity and such. It was oppressive, and God's judgment was coming on that. And that oppression is wearying. Hey, you put all that together, it makes me think of what we call now PTSD, post, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm sure you've heard of it. I've, I've known folks, i uh, talked to a fellow who, who was uh, in the first Gulf War, and he did things and saw things that just devastated his life. The death, the destruction was just overwhelming to him. And, and he couldn't sleep at night. He, you know, they talk about triggers or flashbacks, and what they're saying is you just keep reliving it. Your mind goes back. And it, it doesn't have to be that. I, I know uh, parents whose, I think, 9- or 10-year-old child was sexually molested repeatedly, and, and they've di- diagnosed him with PTSD, and, and, and he keeps reliving the, what happened to him. And, and it's over and over again, and it's devastating, and it consumes the sleep, and he, he's afraid. He even feels like, you know, acting out and, and Back to the war vet, his same thing. He, he said he would drink himself until he passed out at night because he just couldn't sleep otherwise. The, the stress was wearying. Another thing the prophet talks about is the religious sins of his day. Uh, chapter 1 talks about this in particular where there is idolatry, uh, the worship of other gods, there is syncretism, the worship of God and other gods kind of together. Uh, there was apathy, people who just kind of gave up on the whole thing, kind of a, uh, maybe, well, I don't think it'd be too strong to say kind of a, uh, a secular, I don't know and I don't care kind of attitude. I'm just going to live the way I want to live. Uh, and and they, who knows if what kind of stress those people were under that they were doing this sort of stuff. But for those who love the Lord, to see what would be their church just filled with idolatry and syncretism and apathy, how hard that would be. There, there were people who were like, uh, that just felt like, man, it just nothing matters at all. It just doesn't matter. God's not going to do good. He's not going to do bad. There was just complacency and apathy and all sorts of spiritual problems. That's wearying, isn't it? What about your soul? Do you ever feel weary? What is it maybe even today? A conflict? A broken relationship? A work environment that is less than pleasing and pleasant? Physical suffering and maladies with the body? How's your soul? Do you feel weary? How do you think about the nations raging today? Read somewhere that there's a, 
I think it's 65 million refugees in the world today. The United Nations High Commission on Refugees talks about it. War, violence, and persecution have uprooted more men, women, and children around the world than at any time in the uh, seven decades of history of their existence. 65 and a half million people were forcibly displaced at the end of 2016. Human trafficking, another report uh, on human uh, trafficking, the Polaris Project talks about 4.5 million people trapped in forced sexual exploitation globally. You add that to what we see in our schools and the fear students feel of guns and bombings and all this sort of stuff, it's weary. You ever feel discouraged by it? Is it sometimes difficult to continue? That's really, it's in that darkness of how hard things are that the sweetness of the gospel tastes so much sweeter. The brightness of the love of Christ, the light of the world, right, shines so much brighter. It's in this context that these words of grace, of joy, have their impact. Let's look now, let's take our weary souls to this sustaining grace. It's called a song of joy in the outline of, uh, that my Bible gives it. The ESV talks about one of the ways they outline this section is Israel's joy and restoration. It does speak to the sustaining grace for weary souls, for the, the souls of God's children who by faith are seeking to please him in the midst of all the oppression, all the religious shenanigans, all that's going wrong in their world. God gives these words of hope, and I think they're good for us as well. I break it into three sections. The first one is God's presence, verses 15b to 17a reads this way. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will never again fear evil. Uh, there's, I'm going to keep reading, but I want you to see the connection of the presence of God. The Lord is in your midst, and he, he's the great Lord. He's the King of Israel. He's, he's the sovereign one. He's in your midst, and the, the outcome is you will never again fear evil. What great words for people caught up in the kind of suffering and oppression these folks were. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not. There it is again, twice, don't be afraid. Or, or you'll never need to be afraid in here. Fear not, O Zion. Let your hands not grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. By the way, if I read different words than that, it's because I'm memorizing it in a different translation, right? And I just get confused. But there, there it is. It's kind of a God is in your midst. You don't have anything to be afraid of. Don't be afraid. God is in your midst. These are sustaining words of grace. The first aspect of grace is that God is in our midst. And again, in verse 16, it talks about on that day, you don't have to be afraid. On that day, God is in your midst. When God's wrath comes, he will be with you. What is disaster and destruction for the ungodly and those who are outside of Christ is is it not going to hurt you? In fact, God will be to you 
joy and light. And our longing for him will end up with what we saw in, these, in verse 14. Singing aloud, shouting, rejoicing and exalting in the Lord with all our hearts. Because we will see him as he really is. And that will be restoring to us. Hallelujah. This sustaining grace is for the weary soul. God's very presence with us. Did you know there's a song that sits, that, that we sing, that speaks to us about this in terms of God singing to us? How firm a foundation. You know that hymn, right? How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. Well, one of the verses, fear not, I am with you, O be not dismayed. I am thy God, I still give thee aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Do you hear that sustaining grace to the weary soul? in the midst of conflict, in the midst of stress, in the midst of dismay, it's there. Well, there's God's presence uh, that is a sustaining grace. And there's also, the second one would be God's work. I see this in verse 15. Uh, 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 the first part, there's two things. First of all, it says in verse 15, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Now, it's interesting to me that that the prophet Zephaniah doesn't give any more details about the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Uh, but we've been worshiping God all day, kind of basking in the grace that is ours because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our sins. We, we know today exactly how it is that the uh, judgments against us were taken away, don't we? Uh, and I'll read to you just a couple words to, to kind of succinctly say how God has done this from the writing of the Apostle Paul in chapter 3 of his book of Romans. He says, for all, and starting at verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, there's the judgments of God against us, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to, uh, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because his divine forbearance had passed over the former sins. There it is. All the saints of old, they were looking forward by faith to God's provision, to these promises, like verse 15, your, your judgment is taken away. And by faith, God, or, or by God's power and promise, he did indeed deal with their sins. The other work of God that is mentioned here is, uh, continuing with verse 15, he has cleared away your enemies. Now, for Zephaniah, I'm not exactly sure what that means. It wasn't some nice, clean thing. I mean, the Babylonian captivity came. It, it, it took years. Uh, God's, it was the remnant. Uh, people like Daniel and Hadrach, Meshach, Abednego are, are just, you know, taken into Babylon, and the people of God are dispersed and, uh, and such on that day of the Lord when destruction came and 
Jerusalem was sacked and destroyed. And yes, Ezra and Nehemiah, they were part of the leadership that brought back uh, the temple worship and rebuilt Jerusalem and so on and so forth. But it, it wasn't full. It wasn't complete. It wasn't as clean as this is. He has cleared away your enemies. I'm sure there was some temporary relief to the elect of God in this day. I'm sure these words were of great comfort to them in that day, but all the more to us. In two senses, when that great day comes, when we, as we'll confess later, say, I, uh, he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, or the quick and the dead. I don't know how we'll say it here. I, I like quick. <laughs> but anyway, that's beside the point. We believe he's coming back. We believe he's going to restore righteousness, that he will deal with all of our enemies, that ultimate justice, that, that there's no murder, there's no rapist, there's, there's, there's no oppressor that won't stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, praise God that some of us who have oppressed, who have abused, who, having been abused, turned and abused again. But crying out for the mercy of God in Christ Jesus, he's already dealt with it, hasn't he? He's already dealt with it at the cross so that every abuser, every evil person will have had their sins paid for. But the greater enemies, the devil, sin, and death, he's taken those out of the way as well. God's work on our behalf gives us great reason for rejoicing and celebrating. It's a sustaining grace, the hope that is set before us that God is going to deal with these things. Well, there's also the promises of God. Uh, and we can look at this in two different ways, or two different sections, excuse me. Verses 18 to 20 record God saying six times, I will. It tells us what he's going to do. He says, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. I imagine this has to deal with the, the grieving over all the idolatry and all of the syncretism and worship and, and uh, all, the, uh, all the unbelief and apathy in the church. He says, no, no, the time of worship will come when it'll be, there'll be joy. I'll be gathering together. Anyway, it, it goes on so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with the, all your oppressors. There it is. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. And at that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among the peoples of the earth when I restore the fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Now, those are beautiful promises, are they not? They should sustain our weary souls. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's another thing here, though, that I, I kind of passed over, and I want to go back to it. It's verse 17, where, where these promises are given to us, not in the I will, but he will kind of language. And it, it's absolutely beautiful. Verse 17, the Lord your God is with you. There it is again, his presence. He is mighty to save. It's picturing what, exactly what he's doing for his people. And then look at these three bullets, if you will. He will take great delight in you. Let your soul grab hold of that by faith. Ah, when you think about God, 
and how he thinks about you. What do you feel like? Do you feel like, oh, I'm unworthy. Oh, I'm no good. Oh, well, me. I know he loves other people generally, but I'm not so sure about me. Let your soul take hold of this. He will greatly delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. It's the second one. I, I think about that. I think about the psalm where the, the psalmist says that, that like a weaned child at a, on his mother's lap, he's, he's at rest. And I have this picture of God just in the intensity of his love for us, settling our souls. You know, there's all this stress. There's all this worry. There's all this oppression. There's all these bad things going on in the world. And the love of God comes upon us in such a way that we, wow, peace. Isn't that what he's promising here? I, he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Yeah, look at that. There's precedence for how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, for God singing to us. He will rejoice over us with singing. Can you imagine that? I mean, have you ever taken hold of that by faith and say, God sings over me? It's like, like in the worship service, right? It tells us at the beginning, sing to the Lord, you know, shout for joy, rejoice and exalt. And here's God singing and it's, it's like two lovers singing. And that's not extreme language. God talks about how we are his bride. Do you feel loved like that? These are great truths. How do we take them? How do we receive them? So that, so that the response that God is calling for, this sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult. What would that look like in your life? How do we receive this sustaining grace? Well, I know you know. The answer is by, by faith. Yeah. Now let's think about this faith. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure that's how we do it. But, but let's talk about faith for a second. I, I'll share just something personal in my life. Uh, as, as Lee mentioned, we're going uh, to Brno, Czech Republic. We believe God's calling us there. And, and we believe that, that he will provide for us. Uh, I was praying with a... a, a a godly, older, retired pastor, and he assured me, you know, God cares for the sparrows. Of course, he'll care for you. And, and we're sitting in, we were sitting in my living room and out the big, beautiful window, there's a bird feeder and there's the sparrows and they're eating. And, and the picture is, okay, I like feeding those sparrows. I really enjoy that. And I enjoy being part of God's provision for those little birds. And, Granted, I'd rather have cardinals and chickadees and some of the other birds, and they come too, but I'm happy. It's the squirrels I don't like, but again, I digress. I'm happy to feed the birds. And I believe God will take care of us and provide for us, but I got to sell my house. I got to go through all our stuff, and we're going to keep some. We're going to move some with us. We're going to put some in storage. I don't know where, when we sell our house, where are we going to live? Where are we going, where, you know, who will, how will God provide storage? There's, there's a myriad of things before we even get to a visa to live in the Czech Republic and finding a house in the Czech Republic and so on and so forth. Now, this is what I'm asking prayer for. So uh, I'll just take the advantage of the opportunity and say, please pray this for me. I know that God takes care of his people. And I believe that. And I believe 
so much that even if I'm mistaken in understanding God's call to the Czech Republic, I'm still his child and he's still duty-bound to take care of me because he promised to. Now, if I believe that, then I ought to be able to claim verses, well, like Jesus' context where he cares for the birds, don't be anxious. Or Philippians 4, 6, be anxious about nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. You know what the promise is, right? And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I want to ask you to pray that Sarah and I would trust God so much that through the next year we have more peace than we've known in years. Because I believe, but... But I might want to pray, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know what I mean? Because you can be stressful about that sort of thing. And when there's unbelief in my mind, what am I supposed to do? Well, repent. And go, I just turn to God and say, God, I'm sorry, here I am. I'm not believing again. I, please forgive me. And I do believe you're going to take care of me. And I, again, renew my faith that God's going to... Take care of me, right? Isn't that, isn't that kind of like the, the way he's going to keep me in perfect peace as I trust in him? Faith and repentance, faith and repentance, faith and repentance. And it's got to be all day, every day, because I'll tell you what, all day, every day, I've got to be working on this stuff. Let's take it back to these promises. What does it mean for your soul to be sustained by the promises of God that he takes great delight in you, that you are quieted in his love, and that he rejoices over you with singing. Just those three, not to mention the six. What would it take? It would take faith and repentance, wouldn't it? Every day, all day long, that's what it takes. We keep coming to him over and over and over. Now, I want to conclude by trying to help you feel some of the awe and joy in this. And and I have to ask you to to do this with me. And I think I have to convince you it's an okay thing to do. This is what I want to do. I want to sing to you in God's name. Not how firm a foundation, but I'm going to take my Jesus, I love thee. And I'm going to use... Only theology that you would so quickly say, yes, I agree with that. Like with your sins, that, that, that Jesus is deigned to deal with them with his blood. That's the one theological statement and the others are just quotes from the, this other than uh, my Sarah, my Lee, my Michelle, I love thee. Okay, and I, I, I'm going to sing to you and I know that I am not God and I know that I do not have the voice of angels, but... But I want to ask you, this is the preaching of the word and your theology teaches you, you know this, that that God speaks to you in the preaching of the word from the pulpit. And the text tells us he sings to us. So so I'm asking you, I'm asking you to, to receive me singing to you in the name of God as part of the preaching this morning. Uh, of God rejoicing over you with singing. Will you, will you do that? Okay. Now, I can't say everybody's name. <laughs> so the only other thing, uh, one other thing I need your help on is when, when I say my child, my child, I love you, 
I want you to just say your name. And I want you to hear God saying your name. Okay? <laughs> Let's try this, shall we? My child, I love you. I know you are mine. For all your sins and follies, my blood I've assigned. I take great delight in you. Be quieted with my love. If ever I loved you, my child is now. Let's pray. Our Father, may we receive your sustaining grace in such a way that in the weary moments and the darkness of the day, our hearts are sustained to the extent that we can sing to you and shout to you and exalt with rejoicing. For we love you too. Amen.